The COVID-19 pandemic, now entering its third year, had a major impact on trust in many ways. Some might even say that the impact is not smaller than the events of 9-11. In this episode, I will discuss things such as our trust in the media, science, and experts, the impact of virtual meetings on intimacy and trust, the impact of the polarization around masks and, ma- and vaccines on trust, the quality of education and the impact it will have on trust in the future, and the great resignation. I'm not going to take any position on any of those topics, but rather discuss how they relate to, affect, or are affected by trust. Finally, I'll address the issue of the new normal. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? I remember one morning, 5 minutes to 7 a.m., I was watching TV when I heard that the number of COVID cases in Texas had declined 60%. Not five minutes later, when the local affiliate transitioned to the national station, they said that the number of COVID cases, and specifically in the South and even more specifically in Texas, had increased by 81%. I didn't even touch the remote control. I was on the same channel, going from the local affiliate to the national program. Those numbers have changed. The number of COVID cases went from being minus 60% to plus 81%. How can it be? I went and I checked, and what I found was that they both got their data from the CDC website. And the CDC website indicated that the number of cases in Texas did decline 60% over the last month and went up 81% over the last week. So both of them were right, but obviously neither one of them gave the full picture. If you heard what they said right after they gave those statistics, you would understand. Because what they said in the local affiliate, after they said that the number of cases went down 60%, they also said that the governor had banned mask mandates. So the decline in cases would really support that or a decision like that. The national program, right after they said that the number of cases went up 81%, they said that everybody must get vaccinated. And obviously an increase in the number would be a good reason to get vaccinated. Well, what that tells me is that the media was biased. They said, they they used data, they used a, a part of the data, part of the truth, not the whole truth, to support their positions. This is called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias causes us to not trust what we hear. And so if the media is concerned with the lack of trust or the continuous decline in trust, they really should provide all of the information, which they didn't. The other thing is when when you look at the experts, The experts kept changing their recommendations. 
The guidelines started with don't use masks, use masks, don't use the N95s, use the N95s, keep a safe distance of six feet away from one another, social distancing. No, keep 12%. Wait, keep 9%. No, actually 3% is okay. And there's always data to support whatever number they come up with. The problem, once again, is not that things have changed. Things change. We learn new things. Nobody knew what we were entering when we entered this pandemic. Things change. But the fact that they did not share that fact, they never said, I'm not sure, or I don't know, causes you to not trust them. Well, it is okay to change the recommendation as you find new information. You just need to be very clear about how certain you are in what you're currently recommend. Here is what it makes you feel. When somebody keeps changing their recommendations but are very adamant about this is it, this is what you must do, and a month later, they completely ignore the fact that they said something else a month earlier, what do we think about them? We think about them that, first of all, they're not competent. They're incompetent. They don't really know. And if they don't really know, why should we trust them? But the second part, which is even more important, is that we believe that we have very low personal compatibility. They don't tell me the truth. They did not tell me the truth. They did not tell me the whole truth. They did not just say, I'm not sure, or I don't know. And that causes an erosion in trust. Now, I know that, that I hear a lot about, do we trust science? There are people who just don't trust science. Well, let me address that. In 2005, there was a research paper by Dr. John Ioannidis. The title of that paper was Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. That paper analyzed, it was a meta-research, meta-analysis, analyzed 49 of the most highly regarded research finding studies in medicine. And what they found was that when those findings were retested with a larger sample in larger studies, 16% of them were actually contradicted. 16% of them showed a smaller effect than initially stated in the original study, and 68% of them were actually never challenged by follow-on studies. One of the findings were that financial and other interests and prejudices often intervened with the study, causing the results to be less likely to be true. That's pretty alarming. When we think about the level of trust that we have in science, and you know that science itself suffers from confirmation bias, can you trust science? You may remember that in my model of trust, there are six components. Three of them are the who you are and personality compatibility and, and competence, which I talked about in the previous segment, uh, were part of the who you are. Intimacy is part of the what you do. You will build trust or you will accelerate the building of trust with a higher level of intimacy. But there was a challenge here in that intimacy has a downside. And the downside is, uh, maybe I'll start by explaining intimacy. Intimacy is 
how rich is the exchange of information between us? So we can start with words, words only, texts, emails, written word, tone of voice, and beyond that, body language, or, or more specifically, facial expressions. Here's something that happened to intimacy with COVID-19. We started wearing masks. And with that, we covered most of those muscles that we have in our face that allows other people to interpret what we really feel about what we're saying. Those muscles, the, the changes in those muscles are very subtle, but our brain is very sensitive and very perceptive in detecting those changes. And when people are wearing masks, it's harder to build that intimacy. It's harder to see that they feel uh, that they mean what they say or they don't. And if they mean what they say, then you trust them. If they don't mean what they say, if their body language, if their faces tell you a different story than what their words does do, you shouldn't trust them. But you know, the flip side of it is we started doing a lot of virtual meetings. And in those virtual meetings, we use Zoom or Microsoft Teams or, or Google Meets or, or, or any other uh, video conferencing tool, but it allows us to see other people's faces because you don't wear a mask when you're on Zoom. Typically, because I've seen people wear a mask when they're on Zoom, which was not very clear to me. We don't see the rest of the body. I think that the fact that we're starting to use tools like Zoom more than we did before, so we start opting into, let's have a Zoom meeting, or just call it a video meeting instead of a phone call, it allows to increase the intimacy. But again, we don't see the rest of the body and, and it is a little limited. It's not as good as really face-to-face -face without wearing masks. And once again, I'm not telling you to have face-to-face -face meetings and not wear masks. That's, that's your own decision. All I'm saying is that the level of intimacy is not as high. The other thing is we got a lot of people who are not opening their cameras, especially when this is a conference, or this is a multi-participant conference call, you will see a few people with their cameras off. Now, why are their cameras off? Sometimes you're going to get the excuse of, because the camera is not working, I'm having issues. But I would have to say that in more than half of those cases, I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that it's people who say, you know what, I'm not going to dress up for this. Um, I don't want anybody to see my room. I don't want anybody to see my face. We are hurting intimacy when we do that. And one more thing that we do, I think we're being disrespectful. If you and I are talking and I can see your face, but you can't see mine because my camera is closed, I think maybe we're going even to the element of symmetry. This is an asymmetrical interaction and you may not trust me as much, not only because you don't see my face and see the consistency between my body language or facial expressions and the words that I use, but actually because I don't trust you, I don't treat you with respect. There's one more thing that, that we found since people started working remotely is that bosses and leaders and, and sometimes it's teachers and professors, 
Don't trust, if it's, if it's in the work environment, don't trust their employees to do their work. And if they don't trust their employees to do their work, there are all kinds of software tools that, we, that, that are available that you can install in your employee's computer. And you can see uh, if, if they're actually working. Well, I'll tell you something. First of all, if you have to use a tool like this to know that your employees are working, you don't have trustworthy employees. But I'm going to take it a step forward, uh, a step further. Remember that trust is reciprocal. That's that's the sixth law of trust, and and it's reciprocal not only that in in the way that if I am trustworthy, and I behave in a trustworthy way, then I will earn your trust and you will trust me. It also works the other way around. And I talked more about that when I talked about the sixth law of trust. If I trust you and I show you that I trust you, you will behave in a more trustworthy way because otherwise you're going to feel this cognitive dissonance in your head. Your head will tell you it's an awkward feeling that somebody trusts you and you don't think that you should be trusted that much. What message do you think you transmit to your employees when you put that kind of tool on their computers to track how they are, if they're doing their work? Do you tell them that you trust them? No, you tell them that you don't trust them. And as a result, they will behave in a less trustworthy way. Because otherwise, what's the point? Let's talk about personality compatibility. This is the most powerful uh, component of the who you are. It's the most powerful component of your trustworthiness. And in fact, what I found was that when people feel that they have personality compatibility with the other person, that's the highest correlation to trust, 86%. So personality compatibility, self-centrism, which is part of it. uh, Do I care about me or do I care about you? And positivity, where self-centrism and empathy are part of that as well. Why do you wear masks? Why do we wear masks? Do we protect ourselves? Or do do we protect other people from ourselves? Well, when it started, it started really by people thinking, I'm going to put a mask and I'm going to protect myself. And really, the, the first places I remember seeing people wearing masks were in Taiwan, in Taipei. The reason they were wearing masks was not to protect anybody else, only to protect themselves from the smog from the smoke in the air, the, the exhaust uh, from from cars and, and other vehicles. So you kind of look at masks as something that you use to protect yourself. And I remember the first N95 masks, uh, or not the first ones, but some of the first ones, had this little valve that made it easier to breathe. And the way it made it easier to breathe is because it was a one-way valve. It would block air from coming in so you would really breathe in through the mask so everything you breathe in is filtered but when you breathe out it just goes through the filter and comes out the way it is so it was definitely not to protect the other person and once again those masks were created not to protect other people but to protect ourselves from dangerous fumes and smoke and uh and things like that 
But pretty quickly, what we found was that the masks are really more effective, probably in protecting not the person who's wearing them, but to protect other people from the person who's wearing them in case they have contracted the virus. And this creates a whole uh, dilemma of uh, my rights versus your rights. What, what's more important? The do you get vaccinated or you do you not get vaccinated? Okay, if we would have trusted science enough to say, if science says this and, and we know that science does not have a hidden agenda, which I don't think that 100% of the people do believe that, then there are reasons not to get vaccinated. I'm, I'm not even sure that we are 100% past this argument of uh, vaccination could have side effects and could have caused autism. And, and I know that there were discussions, and again, I'm not sure where the science is on that right now, that the preservatives in vaccinations made of or based in mer mercury are dangerous to the, the development of the brain and, and may have caused autism and, and other cases of uh, developmental um, delay in, in kids. So there are two ways. Uh, th there are interests that are in conflict, conflicting interests, like do we open schools, the, the value of having kids in schools versus uh, what they might suffer if they stay at home? Not to mention that if your young kids have to stay at home, you may have to stay at home. You can't work. How do we balance that versus the economy? How do we balance the economy versus the death rate? And the thing is that these issues are important. When I talked about personality compatibility, I talked about areas where we see things differently, but that we have to weigh them by how important they are to us. And unfortunately, these are not only polarizing issues, but they are very important to people. So how willing are you to accept a person or feel that you have personality compatibility with a person that believes the opposite of you? That causes a strong polarization. That polarization, a, a, a symptom or an indication of how important this is to people is behavior on airplanes. I found a study by the FAA uh, that was done uh, early this year, early 2022, that summarized 2021. So first it went back between 95 and 2020. On average, there were 120 to 150, I didn't do the math exactly, incidents of unruly passengers on planes per year. 120 to 150 per year. The highest year ever was 2004 with 310, and the numbers have declined. I think uh, 2020, well, 2020, granted, there was not a lot of travel, air travel in 2020, but still, the number was around 100. 2021, when we opened the skies and we started flying, but still... This whole issue of masks, no masks, vaccination, no vaccination tests, and so on. We felt so passionate, it was so important that when we were incompatible in what we feel about these issues, we had a lot more cases of unruly passengers. We went from an average of 120 to 150 to over 8,000, 1,075 cases in 2021. This is the impact that the pandemic had 
on one of the most important components of trust, personality compatibility. Let's talk about education. A McKinsey study uh, showed that uh, there is an, an effect uh, of uh, what they call unfinished learning. We, our kids are just not learning as much as they did when they were in a classroom and we didn't have the pandemic. Now we teach remotely, which uh, some would argue is not as effective. Um, school closures. There are all kinds of side effects or, or outcomes from, from the pandemic that cause delay or, or a decline in where our students are. So the McKinsey study showed that uh, on average... Students are, and I'm talking about students K through 12, so elementary, middle, high school, they are on average five months behind in math and four months behind in reading by the end of the school year. So we are starting to accumulate a delay in what we know in math and, and in reading, what students know. By the way, one other thing that they found was that this pandemic had widened the pre-existing opportunity and achievement gaps. And the, the disadvantaged students were hit the most. In math, students were in a majority of uh, black schools ended with six months. Of, of unfinished learning and in low-income schools with seven months. So now we're starting to fall behind. Our students are falling behind. They don't know as much as they did at the end of the, the their grade level, at the end of the school year. So what do we do? You can't hold them back, right? I mean, if you hold them back, if you decided this year, for example, that everybody stays one year back. We're going to catch up those five, six, seven months. We're going to catch them up. Everybody stays behind. Well, first of all, the schools are not ready to accept new a new grade level. So imagine those in kindergarten are staying in, in kindergarten. And all of a sudden next year, your kindergarten class level is going to double. But this will also devastate higher education because there's nobody who's going to graduate this year from the 12th grade, and nobody is going to go to college. Colleges will all of a sudden lose, a four-year college would lose 25% of their students. So you can do that. So what do you do? Well, in college, you have to reduce the level you teach at. Now, you don't have more time to catch this up. So essentially... This starts rolling, this, this can starts rolling down the road. First, the students that come out of the 12th grade, they know less than students used to know out of 12th grade. And then those who come out of college know less. And when they know less, they have less experience, they are a less competent workforce. And what do we think about competence? We don't trust them. We don't trust people who are not competent enough. So this is going to be a long-term effect that the, the decline in education as a result of the pandemic, and with no way to catch those students up, we're going to have a workforce that's less competent, and if it's less competent, it's going to be less trusted. Let's talk about the Great Resignation. There is no doubt 
that the length of employment has become shorter with time. No more like in the 60s or, or 50s, uh, not sure about the 70s, where you started working in one place right after high school or right after college, and this would be the only place you're ever going to work on and th- at, and, and that's where you're going to retire from. Now, employment is getting shorter. But not only that employment is getting shorter, but we have this great resignation. Now, to be clear, when I say great resignation, I'm not talking about the fact that right after the pandemic had started, many places started laying off employees because they couldn't afford them. Airlines, hospitality, restaurants, other service businesses that all of a sudden, when we didn't travel, we didn't go to hotels, we didn't go out to restaurants, they had to let their employees go. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 4 million Americans who have quit their jobs in July 2021. These are numbers from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. These resignations have peaked, according to them, in April, remained abnormally high for the last several months, with record-breaking 10.9 million open jobs at the end of July of last year. 10.9 million. And if I remember correctly, there are only 7 million uh, job seekers. Of course, you may want to wonder if there's 7 million people looking for jobs and 10.9 million jobs, why don't those seven take seven of those 10.9 million jobs? Well, because we don't take just about any job, not anymore. Now, there's no doubt that stress plays a role, especially if you're in the front line, if you're working in a hospital and you deal with COVID uh, cases and deaths every day. You can see that. They're breaking. But I'm talking about other jobs. And one of the reasons is because employers did not trust the employees enough to share with them what the situation is. They didn't let their employees play a role in solving the problem. They just one day said, we can't afford you anymore. We're going to let you go. And then the next thing that happened was all of a sudden, now we need you back. But guess what you would do? Remember that bad is so much stronger than good. If you were let go and that same employer comes back to you and says, hey, you're going to get your job back. What do you think? Until the next time you let me go, right? One of the main parts of personality compatibility, actually not one that's just in the different, but but one that's universal, that, that's good or bad, not relative, uh, is whether they you care about me more than you care about your business. And the message that employers gave their employees was very, very strong. I care about the business a lot more than I care about you. I'm forced to lay off people but it doesn't look like I really want to make you part of the solution. In general, we care about ourselves more than we care about our jobs, and maybe this is kind of the reciprocity. Employees, I'll go back to that study that used the World Value Survey database that said over the last 51 years in 78 countries, there was a 12% increase in individuality. Or I I care about myself more than I care about others or I care about my job. Well, you may say 12% over 51 years, not a big deal. But it was 69% in English-speaking countries. That that includes us. So 
we care more about ourselves than our jobs, than, than our workplaces. You know, we don't show that, that loyalty to the workplace. As a result, the workplace doesn't feel they need to show loyalty to me. And as a result, guess what? The great resignation. I want to talk a little about the going back to normal. When will we have, when will we go back to normal? Or what will the new normal be, right? That's how we call it, the new normal. I remember that question after 9-11. We will never go back to normal. Well, that is our normal today. The post-9-11 is our normal. The TSA is our normal. You can't go into the gate unless you have a a cart, a, a boarding pass. You can't carry any liquid in a container more than three ounces. That's a new normal. You know, just like trust, normal is relative and dynamic. It changes. Normal changes. This we are in the normal past 9/11. We're getting into the normal past uh, the the pandemic or or during the pandemic. I don't know that the pandemic will ever leave us. Just like the flu never left us, it keeps coming back. But we got used to it. We know how to deal with it. We are adaptable. You know, even people who don't trust the vaccines or don't trust medications, over time when there's more data and they're going to start trusting that data and see that other people are taking it and nothing bad is happening to them or not enough, they're going to start taking it too. We are adaptable. So I really don't like the term the new normal because I believe that all normal is new. Normal keeps changing. It's dynamic and it's relative, just like trust. But as a result of all the things that I described before, I do believe that we're going to have a significantly lower level of trust in the new normal. Thank you for listening. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it, write a review for this podcast, because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops at yoramsolomon.com workshops online courses at trustedatwork.com, find my books on Amazon, or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.